Before we start the broadcast of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral. And they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you are a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy. Hi, it's Cammy, Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. During portions of this podcast, we highlight the fact that it is episode 95 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. We are well aware that it is episode 96 and we have made a mistake. It's not too bad to say we're 96 episodes in and we've made our first mistake. Please accept our apologies and enjoy the podcast. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you're listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson, and welcome to episode 95 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast on this Thursday evening. Before we begin today's chat, it's a pleasure, as always, to introduce my co-host, my dad, Mr. Trinity Heritage himself. Lee Robinson, how are we doing, Dad? Hello, hello there, and welcome to uh, Thursday night's podcast interview. Uh, Tonight, we take a bit of a break from history and the plain side of events and talk to the voice, or the former voice, of Wakefield Trinity. We say the former voice, as up until two months ago, this fellow had been the stadium announcer for 15 years, but moved on in uh, April. So he's given up his time tonight. We know he's in a hotel in Exeter um, as part of his job these days. Uh, and he's going to tell us why he's gone and where he's gone and talked about his exciting career away from rugby league. This week, we talked to Phil Seymour. Phil, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks very much, Lee. 95. I, I snuck in there in the first 100. So honoured. So honoured. Yeah. And, we, and we've got some big names coming up as well. So you, you'll start kind of that that beginning of uh, big names leading up to 100 as well. Yeah, well, you had, you had big dunk earlier this week. And uh, I was a quality player on the pitch and a quality player on the podcast as well. Top man, yeah, definitely. So, so just before we begin, you're in a hotel in Exeter. Tell us why and what, what you've been up to. I am, yeah. <laughs> I'm all over the place at the moment. It's a bit nuts, really. Um, I, I split my time. I work for myself, so I split my time between all the stuff I do in sport and events and all that kind of thing. Um, with I also have a, a consultancy business working in the automotive sector. So um, my work history is, is automotive industry. Um, so I use that now. So half my time, let's say sports and events, the rest of the time is coaching and training. So I'm working with Porsche at the moment um, here. And then uh, I've just signed a contract to go to Eastern Europe with them. So I'll be heading over there pretty early next year. So it's, uh, yeah, busy, busy times. Very good. And we'll, I guess we'll touch on that a bit later on. But it's, I think people listening will be surprised to hear that you don't just announce at Bellevue every every other week when <laughs> you were working there. So good stuff. Phil, I told you this just before we've come on air and I've asked every single guest that we've had on this podcast, but I'm going to ask you as well after your 15 years down at Bellevue, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? The fans. Every single time, the fans. 
Um, I'm a York lad. I'm, I'm from York. I think most people probably know that. And, you know, 15 years ago, I, I first went down to Bellevue. I got asked to cover, to fill in as a stadium announcer. And the fans down there just, they, they took me as one of their own from that very first day. And they've all been so kind to me right the way through. Um, you know, they're amazing people. It was, uh, was it Jimmy Elston, James Elston, former chief exec during Andrew Glover's time at the club. He said to me once, he said, the likes of him and Andrew and, and Michael Carter, and they're sort of custodians. They, they, you know, look after the club for a certain amount of time. The players are there for a certain amount of time. Stadium announcers are there for a certain amount of time, 15 years for some reason. Um, but the fans stay forever. Once you've got a rugby league club, that's your club. And and you're there forever. So for me, it's it's all about the fans. The fans aren't Wakefield. They're, they're incredible. So. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Excellent. And you mentioned, you know, Day Dot. We'll start from there. So you, you born and bred in York, were you? Yeah, I'm a York lad. Yeah, yeah. Born, brought up there. I was actually, if you've been to York, I was born where the designer outlet is now. Oh, used, wow. to be, used to be a maternity. There's no statue or anything. It's disgraceful. Used to be a maternity hospital. Um, and then they built that on top, and they didn't name it after me. Or I was Paul. Um, so yeah, I've lived in York my whole life. Um, I'm a York lad. Um. You know, I was involved at York Knights before I came over to Wakefield. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my history. I still live there now. still live in York now. And, yeah, I love the place. So, Good stuff. Fair, fairly standard upbringing. Did you have an enjoyable upbringing? Yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it was good. Mum and Dad we were pretty sports-orientated, really. So we all played sports. I played rugby, uh, league, and then union. Um, I played football, cricket, all sorts of different things. So... Yeah, it was it was sporty. Growing up in York's nice. It's a nice place. It's it's pretty quiet, really. Um, but it's you know it's a good rugby area. I've got a sixteen year old son who plays rugby now uh, for Hewitt in York, and you know it's always been sort of part of our upbringing, really. Yeah, you just take my next question. Really, have you got a rugby background and rugby history? Did you watch York or did you watch anybody growing up? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's um, it's really. I, I started off playing rugby league, and then I went over to rugby union because at the time I was a forward. I'm, I'm quite a big lad, and rugby league then we're talking eighties. As a forward, to me was quite dull because I was told the coach was literally right, Phil. What you do when they're playing the ball, you run, you catch the ball, and you keep running until either they stop you or you get to the trial and then you put the ball down, and that was it. And I'm like, well, I can do a lot more than that, really. And at the time, Rugby Union, was there was a lot more in it. So I, I then went over, played Rugby Union. Um, thought really enjoyed it. Played to a decent level. I then came back to Rugby League. I was a, a York Wasps fan. And York Wasps went bust. Um, right, about 20 years ago, just 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of the people that got involved at the club to start raising money to get the new club up and running, which then turned into York City Knights. Um at the nights, I did all kinds of things, really. I I was commercial manager for a time. I was, I'm was i a qualified rugby league coach, so I was scholarship coach, scholarship manager. I coached the service area team as well uh, for North Yorkshire. And then on match day with the first team, I would do whatever we needed. So if we needed someone in a high-vis in the car park, I'd go and do that. If we needed someone in a turnstile, I'd do that. I was Norris the night on one occasion in the big suit with a big hat running around the pitch. Um and then one day, the, the stadium announcer couldn't do a couple of games. He was having an operation on his back. No one else would do it, so I stuck my hand up and said I would. And the first game, about halfway through the game, half-time, chairman come running down the main stand, and he said, right, this is what you do, Phil. You're good at this. <laughs> and I thought, well, you mean I'm not good at the car park? <laughs> he 
He's like, no, no. He said, seriously, this is what you do. And I did that for a few years then. And then uh, I got the call to go across to Wakefield to fill in and the rest is history, really. So, yeah, very much a rugby league background. Um, I still get down to watch York as and when I can. Like I say, my, my son, my 16-year-old son, he plays for Hewitt now in York. So, traipsing all over with him. So, I was over at Dewsbury Celtic with him to watch them get beat at the weekend. Um, but, yeah, I still get down to York as and when I can. And I'm hoping to get across a few games at Wakefield as well. Uh, when the opportunity arises, and you was a great club, isn't it? You know, one of the amateur greats of uh, of Yorkshire. They've got a great reputation. Some good players come through here with over the years. No, oh, absolutely, and it's two minutes from my house, which is which is an absolute <laughs> bonus. I can see that. I can see the lights of the pitch from where uh, where I live. But yeah, it's it is York. York isn't really a, a hotbed of rugby league, but we've had some great players come through. I mean, Gazellis, great example, was was in the York Academy. Mm-hmm. Going back, and even in my time at the scholarship, we only had a scholarship for a few years, and then the funding got pulled. But of the the lads that I had on scholarship, there was Alex Foster, mm-hmm. who went on to play for Castleford. He scored in the grand final at Old Trafford for Castleford. Yeah. Um, sorry, Castleford. And who else? Oh, Chris Brining, who played against Wakefield for Salford, mm-hmm. Hooker. He then ended his career at York, which makes me feel really old, by the way, that I was coaching lads who have now ended their careers, and. Um, yeah, he went back to York. He's got to try at Wembley for York, which was great. Um, and it's yeah, you know, there's there's been some real good players sort of come through York as well. I've got well, I've I've, I've made a bit of a my my Wakefield team, which we'll go through later on. But from that, Danny Bruff obviously came to York from Dewsbury. Yeah, so he was at York for a time. Matty Blameyer as well was yeah. was at York for a, a good length of time. Um, so yeah, you know, we've had some great players over the years, and of course now we've got Dan, Danny Kermel. Kermel's there now, which is all good, and uh, Paulie Paulie, and you know some of those guys. It's, uh, there's there's a lot oh, of links. I was just going to say, is Paulie Paulie in your dream team? He's, no, <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Your coach seems one of those. It's like to me, it's like a Super League team in the waiting. You know, it's just the, the, it's just a big city. I, I know they don't get massive crowds, but you know, it's just it, the potential that city has. It's not far off Wakefield, Castleford, our area. You know, it's, it's funny, it, people say that, but it's really not. It's not a big city. It's a tiny city, really. Yeah. It's a very, very small city. When you actually look at the numbers of people there, it's actually very small. And it's it's sort of quite diluted with other sports as well. You know, if you look, there's a, a buzzing football scene in York, um, as there are most places, to be fair. But it is it is quite a small place, really. And but it's a great place, and they've got a great new stadium now, which is lovely. I, I did the summer bash there a couple of weeks ago in the championship, which was wonderful. Um, but I don't know. Time, time will tell. Really, I, I don't know if we've got the headcount in York to to back that up. I don't know if we've got the people there to do it. It's when I when I coach on the service area. Is it, do you know about service area rugby league? Is that something you understand? Or? I remember, I remember back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. We had North Yorkshire. Well, North Yorkshire is the, it's the biggest county in the country, I think. It's absolutely mm-hmm. enormous. And we had the North Yorkshire service area, and we were playing against Wigan. You know what I mean? It was like North yeah. Yorkshire, Wigan. Mm-hmm. And yet they, they tonked us. They had Owen Farrell, the, the current England Rugby Union uh-huh. captain at halfback, which probably didn't help in the under-14s. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a massive area, huge area, but there's a lot of sheep and not so many people. So... <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. You appear to stay away from rugby. You seem to. You mentioned it earlier. You seem to start out in the sales and the motor trade. Is that correct? You were motor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I left left college. Um, 
didn't really know what I wanted to do myself, to be honest. So I, I took a job as a trainee car salesperson um, and then worked my way up from there, really. I was like 18 years old, worked my way up, ended up through all the management jobs, ended up running a Land Rover dealership for a time. And then I went into working. I worked in, in rugby for a little while at York. And then I went into like field roles for Mercedes-Benz, for Volkswagen Group. Um, and everything else I did, I did alongside that. So, you know, I was I was doing that whilst and then coming to Wakefield on the Sunday to do stadium announcing or at York, doing coaching and scholarship and that kind of thing. So it was all alongside that until about five years ago when I went self-employed. So then it became a job, which was weird. Mm-hmm. Any transferable skills from kind of that sales and business management side to your kind of announcing and, and voice management side? Um don't know really i suppose confidence you've got to be confident in what you're doing um and you've got to juggle different things but no i wouldn't i wouldn't really say so there's transferable skills between the coaching you know coach coaching sport and coaching in business are actually very very similar a lot of people don't don't recognize that but they're very very similar things they they share a lot of things you know people are people whether you're coaching them to do a rugby play or or sell a car or you know sell a service plan it's People are people, and the way you coach them is very, very similar in both, really. So there's transferable skills on that side, not so much in the announcer. So then w- was it a big money transfer when, when Trinity approached you from York? How did that come about? <laughs> you know, it was quite funny, actually. I got a phone call. Um, I think it was Jimmy Elster. I think it was James who – he ran me up. He said, like, oh, I stayed in Elster Cab with a couple of games, Phil. Can you come and fill in? And I was like, Jim, I, I do York it's my club. I'm not coming all the way over to Wakefield. And he says, oh, we'll pay you. I said, oh, when do you need me? <laughs> and it, it was as, as mercenary as that. I hate to say it. It really was. Um, and, yeah, so I thought, okay. And I went out. I did those two games. And after the second game, I got asked. It was the stadium announcer at the time, Jono, who, who turned into a really good pal of mine, who he does Castleford now. And we always filled in for each other the last few years. And I've done a couple of games at Castleford in this season. Um, he was committed, I think, at Leeds United and at Doncaster Rovers. So he was. there was a lot of games he couldn't do. So they sort of said, we want someone that can do the whole season. Would you be able to do next season? And I looked at him and I thought, well, yeah, you know, why not? And that was it. And from then, I've, I've, well, I've been there ever since until a couple of months ago. So it's, yeah, it's been good. I've missed a few games in, in recent years with having to do snooker being on the snooker tour and different things. And like I say, fortunately, me and John are good mates now and he fills in for me and I fill in for him. So it's, uh, it's just sort of worked out. I appreciate, obviously, you've got a split role. You do part, you know, most of your time in your business side and most of your time with your voice side side. But you, is it, is this sounds daft, but you know, like singers have to train the voice and look after the voice. Is that something you you really particularly look after? Because obviously, if, if you don't have your voice, you can't work half the time. Yeah, it's difficult. You, you have to... You have to be quite careful, you know. You you, go, you not not drink too much for a start off because that damages your vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to be a bit careful, yeah. And I struggle at times with mine. If I do a couple of boxing shows in quick succession, I, I tend to struggle with it. Dry ice and things like that don't really don't help. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you've, you've got to be careful. You've got to kind of do the right things. Um, I have noticed since obviously I was massive. I was when I, I was twenty five stone ten years ago, and it's since losing the weight and getting fitter. It, that makes it easier. Um, yeah, it's it's different things, but yeah, you do definitely have to look after it. Yeah, 
Is, is there anyone in, in particular that you kind of looked at, you know, other announcers, commentators, you know, TV presenters or anything that you can, not imitate it, but saw how they use their inflection or their tone in, in presenting and projecting the voice? Yeah, no. It's really funny that. There's announcers that I look up to. Um, I don't think I sort of imitated anyone or... All I've ever tried to do is do it as a fan, do it the way I want to hear it. So... Um, growing up, the, the, the three sports I have always loved were rugby league or rugby, snooker and boxing. And I'm really lucky that the, the three sports I do most of my work in are rugby league, snooker and boxing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much still a fan now, you know, when I'm not working in these sports, I'm watching them. So I just, I've always tried to do it the way I would want it as a fan sat watching it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's quite funny that the way the boxing all came about, because I was I was only doing rugby. And I was at, when was it now? It was my, I was 34. So it was, what, my 47 now. So I've been at Wakey a couple of years. And we did a, a Sky game. And the Sky producer called me after the game. And he said to me, he said, Phil, he said, with your voice, you ought to do the boxing. I thought, okay, that, that's really interesting. I've always loved boxing. always been a massive boxing fan. And it planted a seed in my head. And a couple of months later, it was my 35th birthday. I'd, I'd had a few beers, it's fair to say. And I decided to announce to everyone around me that I'm 35 years old. By the time I'm 40, I'm going to ring announce a boxing world title. And I was told at the time I was mad. It wouldn't happen. I've never done boxing. What am I thinking? Blah, blah, blah. So I then started looking into what, you have to do to be able to do that and I went out and I had a friend who was a promoted cage fighting show so I did I asked really nicely and he let me do some of his shows I then found out you had to be licensed as, a, as an MC as a ring announcer in professional boxing so I then went to the boxing board of control I applied for my ring announcer license I was granted that and it took me two and a half years to do my first world title um but I always think, and this is where I've got a lot to thank Wakefield Trinity for, if if I hadn't been announcing Wakefield Trinity, that would never have happened. Mm. I would never, ever have thought to myself, Phil, you should go and ring announce boxing. Why would I? I was quite successful in my job. I was, you know, doing okay. But that that planted that seed, that Sky producer saying that, if I hadn't been at Trin, that wouldn't have happened. And I've gone on to do, I've, I've ring announced at Wembley. I've done, I go to Denmark regularly now to do boxing over there. Um, from that, I then got spotted by by the Hearns, by Matchroom. They got me on the pool, the snooker, the darts and everything else. And, you know, it's created quite an amazing life for me, really. So I've got Wait for Trinity to thank for a lot of all that, really. What was the world title fight? First one was uh, Jamie McDonnell against Julio Seja in the, uh, the um, oh, Christ, what's the, the stadium in Doncaster? Keepmount Stadium, Doncaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was, yeah, that was amazing. Then Wembley was Chris Eubank Jr. against Arthur Abraham. Oh, wow. wow. I think there was three world title fights that night. It was, it was an amazing night. And, yeah, like I said, I've, I've been very, very lucky, really, in, in getting to do all those things. You know, there's I, I live for moments and, and stuff like that. You you can't pay for that. You know, I've, I've done the Hello Wembley thing. I've I've done stadium shows. I've, I've flown to different countries and done it. And... You know, that's it's an amazing feeling. You know, you get paid while you're doing it, which is an absolute bonus, but it's great. It never really clicks until you've kind of mentioned it, but say say there's a boxing card of 12 to 15 fights. 
But then you usually get to the main event, and it's for example, it's Michael Buffer. Is there yeah. a different announcer for for say three three three, or is it most of the same announcer thing yeah. you get Michael Buffer in? On some shows, you'll you'll just have one announcer for the whole night. Mm. Um, on other shows, you'll have one announcer that'll do the whole undercard, and then Buffer will just do like the main fight. Um, I used to to work for Frank Maloney, who's now Kelly Maloney. Yeah. Um, when I, I he spotted me on something um, and brought me in as to do the undercards. So I was, I used to do sort of the first few fights on a card. Um, and that was great. That gave me a bit of an education really. And then there was another MC would come in and do like the last three. So I'd probably do the first six, he'd then do the last three. And that gave me a great grounding. Um, and then obviously other promoters see you on Sky or, or wherever you are, Box Nation, wherever it was. And they pick you up from there. And like I say, I've, I've been really fortunate because I've, I've been supposed to some really good people who've then, gone on to give me work elsewhere, which has been brilliant. This is kind of a general question for everything you've done, but let's put it in particular for Wakefield. On a, say, say it's a 3pm Sunday afternoon kickoff, what, what's your day leading into the announcement, getting to the stadium, getting given the teams, etc.? So tell, tell us what you would do on a, on a normal working day, Trin. It varies wildly. Um, like I say, I've got I've got a son who plays rugby, which the mad thing is, when I, when I did my first game at Wakefield, he was one. And he's he's sixteen and six foot three now, you know. And it it, it makes me think, Christ, I really was there a long time. Um, well, in in recent years, if he had a game, he generally played Sunday morning. So I would be wherever I was with him on a Sunday morning, and and then get over to to wait for. I always got there about two hours before kickoff. Um, had a wander around, made sure everything was right, went through the script of, of the things that I've got to say in there, um, and then get the team sheets. I'm I'm really picky. I don't like to get things wrong. So the second I got the team sheet, the first thing I would do is, is go down to the uh, opposition dressing room or grab the opposition coach, which you get to know them. So, you know, I know most of them now. And I'd go through the pronunciations of the name just to make sure I had them right. You know, and it's there's nothing. I think if, you, if you're a professional sports person, there's nothing worse than someone announcing your name wrong. Yeah. You know, that, that's got to be horrible. I, I'd hate that. So... When you've got King Vunia Yawa and, and names like that, it's you know you've got to get these right. And again, as a fan, that it really annoys me when you see some announcers getting names wrong and commentators as well, and and consistently wrong. If I was that player, I'd be collaring them and saying, "Right, this is how you pronounce my name." Yeah, <laughs> I always made sure. Yeah, I went did that, got all that right, and then settled in, and then. I'll spend a bit of time chatting to people because I'm a chatty person, as you as you know. So I'd always pop up to the bar, have a natter with a few people, see what people's thoughts were ahead of the game. Um, always pop down to the um, wheelchair supporters area, had a little chat with everyone in there. Always made a point of doing that. Just have it really as much as anything. Um, and yeah, just generally enjoy the rest of the game, really. You do your own scripts? Um, no, it's it was always given to me on match day. So... Things were given to me uh, often with lots of mistakes in there, which is why I spent time reading through them to make sure they're all right. Um, yeah, it was often a good evening when we'd had an evening game the previous week and then an afternoon game, stuff like that. Um, our next home game is, well, that's the game we're announcing here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there was all that stuff was in there. But whenever there was interviews or anything like that, none of that were ever, was ever scripted. So. Do you do your own research? Do you do research beforehand so you know the players and your boxers and your snooker players? Oh, yeah, boxing. Yeah, boxing, yes. Um, Boxing, there's there's no scripts. You have to write all your own stuff in boxing. 
Um, but with with rugby league, I mean, I, I'm a, like I say, I'm a fan. I watch it avidly anyway. I watch it any that's on TV whenever I can. So um, I'm always watching it. Boxing, I prepare methodically for every single show that I do. So you go through the boxers' records, everything else. Same with the snooker. Announcing snooker players out, you know, you like to get it right. So I always prepare everything, write everything down, then commit it to memory. So you can uh, say it without having to read it. Brilliant. Going back to Trinity, do you remember the first game you did, your debut? I'm not going to quiz you on the team, but do you remember who it was against? Do you know, I don't. <gasps> oh. I don't know who it was. What year was it? 15 years ago. So was it 2008? I think who it was now. I'm not sure. Do you know, I'm... I'm... No, I'll, I'll be totally honest. I've no idea. I do remember we had some... We used to do some stuff back then where, you know, they get entertainers on. So we had, do you remember Stavros Flatley? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Greek guys, they were brilliant. They were absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, we had them. We had a guy called Daniel Johnson who was on The X Factor. who was a bit of a baddie on The X Factor, but he was actually a really, really nice lad. Um, we had a band called New Bounce, who I think were another X Factor one. Um, their manager was, was a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've had some great, great times over the years. I think that that seems to be kind of missed now, sadly. But um, yeah, they used to sort of push the boat out of it for entertainment back then. It was yeah, we used to have some good fun. I remember a fella called Chico as well that was quite big. It's Chico time. Chico time. That's right. We had all sorts. We had um, who was the the break dancer, young lad. Um, he won, I think, X Factor or, or Britain's Got Talent or something. George, someone or other. He George was, Sampson. Was, George Sampson, that was it. He was on. He was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, and they, they used to do this and get all these acts down and, and really put it on for match day. And, you know, it used to make for a real good atmosphere and it used to draw people in, I think, which doesn't seem to happen so much now, which I think is a pity. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Lee Leopards are doing that at the moment. Um, Derek Beaumont goes on Twitter and says, we're doing, and it looks fantastic. And I'm sat thinking, we did that 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, funnily yeah. enough, Derek rang me earlier in the season to ask if I'd go across there and do a game for him because he, I think he was struggling or he just wanted someone different to do it. And he asked, and he wanted to send a car for me and all sorts of things. But uh, I wasn't available, sadly. So I couldn't go and yeah. do it. But he's, do you know what? I've got a lot of time for Derek. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a complete and utter crackpot, but he's, He's a great crackpot, and I think he's good for the sport as well. He's he's livening things up. He's changing things around. Like yeah, like you say, he's, he's making an effort, isn't he? He's trying to to make something out of match day. I'm not quite so sure about the leopard print, but he loves it, and that's what matters, I suppose. But you can't knock the performances on the pitch, can you? Yeah, exactly. It's taking off, isn't it? You know that leopard print. Everybody laughed and everybody scowled at it, but it's going viral. You know, like league second in the league. Every day you see some picture of somebody wearing some leopard print somewhere and hashtag Lee Leopards. Yeah. So it might, we might, everybody might have laughed at it at the time, but by golly, it's taken off. Yeah, but everyone was laughing about it. Everyone was talking about it. This is the thing that the same marketing that, that no news is bad news. Mm. And when they announced that, let's face it, we all looked at it and thought, yeah, that's a white. It's yeah. not real. We all thought that. We all thought they're just messing about with the, the shirt with a leopard. Come on, behave yeah. yourself. They're never actually going to do that. And of course, they did. But it made news. Everyone in rugby was talking. Everyone in rugby was talking about Lee. Yeah. Just think about that for a second. That's an achievement in itself, that. Mm -hmm. And now you look at what they're doing on the pitch and it just goes to show, you know, they're achieving massive, massive things. So, you know, maybe maybe Dexy's onto something over there. I think he, I think he is, yeah. I think like, like the, the public only ever see sometimes the downside of uh, Derek Beaumont. But I know a few people know him, and he does a hell of a lot of good stuff away from what, what people don't see. Charity work, donations, and 
things away. There was a, a mate of mine, um, he's a massive Wakefield fan, actually. He runs uh, some junior teams down at Hewitt, my, my local club. And one of his teams was at, at risk of folding because they couldn't get a sponsor. And he put something on Twitter. And Derek Beaumont, didn't know him from Adam, saw this tweet. Someone had shared this tweet. And he says, I'll do it. I'll sponsor you. Um, send me over an invoice and sort it. And he, he literally paid him that day. Wow. And got the money across to him, sponsored his junior team at Hewitt that he had absolutely nothing to do with. Yeah. But it was a rugby league team that was going to, a kids' rugby league team that was going to fold. And he put his hand straight in his pocket. And you've got to respect that. You know, you've got to, you, all right, well, however much money he's got, it's still money, isn't it? You know, and it's still money he's earned. Mm. And he's he's just put that money straight through. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect and time for him, really. Yeah. Good stuff. Back to Trinity, mate. 15 years. Any highlights? Any games that stand out and think, by golly, they were good times? Yeah, I think um, Wigan, was it was it 62 nil? A bit Wigan that time. I mean, that was... I was busy that day. That was a busy day for me, that, as the announcer. <laughs> yeah. A busy, but a very happy day. I think by the end of it, I was actually laughing as I was announcing the scores. It was great. Um, yeah, there was that. I'd, I'd love to say the million-pound game was a highlight because we won it, but Wow, that that was probably one of the most stressful days of my life. That it was a scary, scary day, and the atmosphere on that day reflected that scariness. You know, you've got players there who it's their livelihood. You know, if we go down, they're, they're out of a job. We've got everyone from me to bar staff, security staff, whatever. If we've gone down, that's their jobs mm-hmm. because there's going to be nowhere near the number of staff at the club that you'd get in Super League if you go down. So, and then obviously the fans didn't want to go down. You're a Super League club, you know, and everything else. So that, it was a great day in many ways because we won. I, sat, I got home, sat down and, and thought I needed a, a shower after that because it was just, it was properly stressful. You know, it was, no one had said anything to me that if we go down, you know, we might not need you next season. No one had said that, but it's in the back of my head thinking, well, this could happen. And yet, obviously the moment, when they got that try at the end, it was incredible. I mean, it was it was amazing. But I think it was relief as much as celebration. And the celebration started after the Hooter, really. But, God, the emotions that day were... Were, were you there that day? You must have been. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it was weird, wasn't it? Just the whole feeling in the stadium was... It was, it was kind of like a funeral for the first 60 minutes. It was just weird. And then, obviously, it ended all right. So that was... Um, that was great, thankfully. But yeah, there's, there's been a lot of great moments. You know, there's there's been a lot of. I've been fortunate. That there's been a lot of very very good times, and uh, you know, it's it's always a roller coaster at, at Bellevue. You know, we we're not the best supported team. We're not the richest team. We will never be the best team. But it's it's always interesting. It's always exciting. Um, I do remember that this was brilliant. The the witness game that was snowed off. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and there was. Michael and everyone else on the pitch brushing the lines before the game and everything else. And I'm looking at it thinking, this is brilliant, this. I've got to stand between the dugouts. I've no roof. I can't go in the stand. Right? So I'm there. I've got big coat on, hood up. And I'm, I'm heading out onto the pitch to sort of start stadium announcing. And Dennis Betts grabbed me. And he goes, Phil, 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 Phil. I'm like, yeah, Dennis. This game shouldn't be on. I said, you're telling me. I've got to stand there in the snow. It shouldn't be on. It's ridiculous. It shouldn't be on, Phil. Like it's my fault because I'm the stadium announcer. I make those kind of decisions, obviously. And he had a right go at me. I'm like, Dennis, I don't want it to be on as much as you don't want it to be on. Believe me. So I went out. We did, was it about 15 minutes? I think it got called off, didn't it? 
And I came across looking like um, the abominable snowman with my hood up, literally white, covered in snow. And Dennis Betts comes across the pitch behind me and he comes and goes, there you go, Phil, told you it shouldn't be on, told you it shouldn't be on. And I'm like, Dennis, I agree with you. <laughs> and, oh, God, yeah, but that was, I mean, that was crazy. That made the news in America, that game. Yeah. yeah. Someone, someone sent me a clip of the like the daily news on NBC or whatever it was in America. And I'm like, look at this footage from a rugby league game in the UK. <laughs> really? Wow. That was, yeah, different class. But, um, yeah, good fun. Always good fun. I notice you're saying we a lot as well, as well, Phil. Is, is Wakefield officially your second team now? I did, listen, I, I, I can't have a first and a second, really. I'm, I'm a Wakefield fan, I'm a New York fan. Um, my lad's the same. He, he's a Wakefield fan, New York fan. You know, he's been watching watching both scenes for years. Um, my my absolute nightmare throughout the last 15 years, my absolute nightmare was that Wakefield would draw York in the cup. <laughs> and I'd have to announce it because that would kill me. That would absolutely kill me to do that. It's not that I'm biased when I'm announcing, obviously. Um, yeah, that I'd really struggle with that, to be honest, because you've got to be professional. But, yeah, no, it is both clubs. I, I do, even though I've left, it's, it's, I still say we. It's, I'm, I'm still weak, very much so. Um, you know, and I'm still York, very much so as well. They're still my clubs. They're still the first results I'll, I'll ever look out for. And, um, yeah, they're very much in my heart now. And... You know, it was quite a sudden thing at the couple of couple of months ago at the middle end of the season. Um, you don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want to. But what what brought uh, that yeah. abrupt ending at, at Trinity? Well, I was gonna I was gonna go at the end of last season to be honest. Um, and I had to think about it. I had a chat and I'm like, well, it's 15 years. 15 years it's a nice nice number to end on, really. So I thought I'll I'll go at the end of next season. So I I I, I told the club last season. Um. And then I put it out publicly that, you know, it's my last year at Wakefield. And then I'm going and it's a big commitment. Stadium announcing at Wakefield is a big commitment. You know, I've got um, I've got a 16-year-old, I say, I've got a four-year-old little girl as well. And to commit to doing every other Sunday or Friday or Thursday night, whatever it is, right the way through spring and summer is, is a big commitment. And... I got to the point where I thought I'm away an awful lot doing everything else that I do. I need some some time at home. And my lad plays rugby, as I said, and I was missing some of his games because I couldn't do his game and get to Wakefield. And I thought, no, that's he's got to come to an end, really. So um, I'd said I've, I've got the end of the season. And then, yeah, there was just a few things happen that I thought, you know, I'll, I'll bring it forward and I'll, I'll go now. And uh, And that was it, really. I'll be honest. Sad to go in so many ways, sad to go and sad to not see the season out and say goodbye to everyone and and finish off properly. Um, and it was, it was really funny. When I left, I put out on social media that I'd gone. Um, I got so many nice messages. I was really touched, actually. So many nice messages from people and from everyone, from, from fans, from current players. Mash sent me a, sent me a message saying, you know, can't believe you're going, um, you know, good to see you go. Because I've not matched for a lot of years from his Wakefield days, his York days as well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously back to Wakefield as well. Gaz Ellis sent me a message. A couple of the match officials text me and said, you know, really, really sorry to see you going, Phil. Um, and it's, yeah, it was really touching that that, that happened and the people were so kind, really. Um, but I will I will try and get back for a game before the end of the season. Um Quite fancy the cast game, to be honest. I think that's going to be a big one, isn't it? 
<laughs> Definitely so. And I think I think Dad summed it up at the beginning. You've been the voice of, of Wakefield Trinity for a decade and a half, 15 years now, and it kind of, that voice of announcing the tries, the sponsors, the substitutes, it becomes embedded into your subconscious, doesn't it? You don't even realise it's there until until it's gone sometimes. And you can certainly tell the difference now that now that you're not down at Bellevue. Yeah, well, he's Matt doing it now. He's, he's, he's a pal of mine. Um, he's, a, he's a big Rhinos fan, but don't tell anyone. Um, he's a good mate of mine, it's Matt, who's doing it now. And yeah, it's quite weird, you know. There's, there's players who are in the first team now and players that have been in the first team the last few years who I interviewed as, as matchday mascots when they were little, <laughs> which that, that weirds me out a bit, that, and really makes me feel very old. But it's it, it's great that, you know, I've seen some of Jordy Crowley, great example. You know, I know Jordy, I know his family very well as well. His sister won Wakefield's Got Talent that I hosted up in what was Cat's Bar many moons ago. And, you know, they're a great family. And, I, and I've seen Jordy grow up from from being a little lad to, to the man he is now and the, the great player he is now. Um, you know, and to see some of these come through and, and I've been lucky that I was the person interviewing them as kids and, you know, hosting the scholarship presentation night when they got awards and then watching them progress into the, the men and the players they are now has been been a real joy, really, for me. And it's not when you look back, 15 years is a bloody long time, lads. It's It's, it's a long time, so... Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's got to be a bit different, but it's going to be weird going down there and watching a match and not announcing it. Yeah, that's going to be very, very strange for me. Um, how that's going to feel, I, I aren't sure to be honest, but that's what it is. Yeah, excellent stuff. Away from everything else, mate, were you once a radio announcer as well? Have you worked on radio? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I did student radio back when I was young, and then uh, Radio Yorkshire came about um it was owned by ken bates that used to own Leeds united and chelsea um i think it was yorkshire radio and then ken bates sold Leeds, but he kept the radio station changed it to radio yorkshire and i used to do a saturday morning show on there um for a couple of years which is called terrace talk which was great was, i think it was about seven years ago i finished that now which doesn't seem that long but it was it was slightly wakefield heavy it's got to be said we always had a, we always had a wakefield player or coach or owner or, or something on um as i banged the drum for the club but we covered all sports. So, like I said, I'm a, I'm a massive sports fan. So, we cover everything from football to racing to, to boxing to cricket to rugby league to tennis, everything. Um, yeah, I loved it. I loved doing the radio. Radio pays terribly, by the way. Mm-hmm. Any kids thinking about getting a career, don't go into radio because the, the money's dreadful unless you're right at the top there. So, um, but I loved doing it. It was, again, another job that I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I say job. It wasn't really a job. It was more a hobby, but... It was good fun. Excellent, mate. Excellent. I've got to ask you about your health. You've mentioned it already. When I first met you, you were 25 stone. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that journey, mate. What? How did that come about? When just what what triggered your your uh, change in? Uh, yeah, lifestyle? I was I was about 37, 38 years old, and I'd, I'd been on holiday. And I got back, and I, I felt dreadful. Um, I just felt t- I'd always been a big lad, and but over the years, it had just gone on and on and on, and, and I got bigger and bigger and you sort of lose lose track of it, really. I did no exercise at all, um, ate the wrong things, drank the wrong things, just lived the wrong life. And I got back from holiday, this one holiday, and I just felt terrible. I felt absolutely shattered. So I went to see my doctor, who I'm friends with. And um, I went to her, I said, look, I said, you know, I don't feel well. I feel tired all the time. I'm struggling with everything. And he says, Phil, he says, you know what? I'm going to tell you, you're fat. And I was like, yeah, thanks for that. Don't, don't pull any punches, doc. And he said, look, let's let's throw the book at you. Let's test you for everything. 
make sure there's nothing underlying and then we'll address it. And he did that and he came back and he, he said, look, you, whatever it was, 37 years old, you're that close to diabetes. You are right on the borderline for diabetes. He said, you don't want diabetes. So he said, not at your age. And he said, look, he said, I have two options. He said, either I can refer you to the diabetes nurse in the clinic and she's horrible. He said, you'll hate her. Or you go away, come back in a month, you've lost a stone and we'll take it from there. So I went home and I said, I said to my other half, I said, right, I'm joining Slimming World. And she almost fell off a chair. And I said, well, you've done it. You lost weight with it. It's got to work. So I'm going to go to join Slimming World. And I did. And I went back after a month and I think I'd lost two stone, two pound in wow. the first month. And the doctor looked at me and said, right, what are you doing? I said, I'm nothing. I said, I'm doing Slimming World. It's great. And he said, right, well, if you're happy to keep doing it, keep doing it. And I did. And it was the most bizarre thing. I didn't go back to the doctor. And a year later, it was the week I hit 10 stone off. I was in Harrogate on business. And I was going across a, a Pelican Crossing. And I pressed the button. And I walked across. And there's my doctor coming the other way. And I said, oh, yeah, doc. And he said, oh, hey, Phil. And he passed me on the other side. And then I heard this shout at Phil wait there and he came back across and he went what how much have you lost i said well this week i've just just hit 10 stone and he said that's he said i didn't recognize you did not recognize you coming over the street and it's amazing really because i went from struggling to put shoes and socks on to running half marathons in one hour 43 and and all this and develops a love of exercise and you know a bit's crept back on since as it does but you know, it's, um, I'm so glad I did it. You know, I, I'm so glad that I did what I did when I did because, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I could be dead bad, who knows, but um, I was certainly in, in, as you saw, Lee, in bad shape back then. So it's, um, yeah, I'm sure it's helped my career and, and different things, but yeah, great, great decision to make and I'm glad I did it when I did it. I wish I'd done it younger. And I, I guess I can already guess the answer to this, Phil, but um, do you feel better for it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really funny. I, I, I think it was like a couple of months in. I had, a, I had a gym membership that I never used, all right? Why would a 25-stone bloke have a gym membership? My favourite machine in the gym was the, the vending machine. <laughs> and the gym that I go to, there's the cafe and pool downstairs, then you go upstairs to the actual gym. And the first time I went there, um, I went down, got changed, and I walked up these stairs to the gym, and I stood at the top of the stairs, my hands on my knees, and and my mate is a personal trainer in that gym. And he comes past. He said, oh, hey, old fella. He says, have you just finished? <laughs> I said, that just come up them stairs. <laughs> he looks at me and says, oh, God, you're going to need some help, aren't you? I was like, yeah, I really am, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I've actually, I've, I've done my knee at the moment. So I can't do a right lot, um, sadly. But I was I was due to do the Rob Burrow Marathon in Leeds. Mm. Um, I did, I had a 16-week training plan, which went great. Got up to about 18-odd miles. Um, all good, and then got COVID the week before, so it wiped me out. So I couldn't do it sadly. Um, speaking to people that did it, apparently Paul Bank was absolutely vile, so I'm kind of glad I ducked it. But yeah, I was I was right up for doing that, and I wanted to do it. Stu Dickens was doing it as well, and uh, you know I kept track of his training, and he kept track of mine, and uh, yeah, gutted not to do it really, but it's it's one of those things. So I will I will get a marathon at some point. Superb. And then just before we round off, I know we're going to do a. Yeah, your all-time Trinity 13 as well, but 
what what's next for you? What what are you kind of up to now? What have you got planned in the next year or so? Well, I'm busy. Um, I've got loads of boxing going on. Like I said, there's a promoter over in Denmark that I do do a few shows while I was there two weeks ago over there. That's great. Um, I'm just waiting to hear about next season on the snooker. Um, hoping I'll be on the Home Nations again, same as I was this year. So the English, Scottish, Welsh and Northern Irish opens for the snooker and Eurosport. Um, yeah, all sorts of different things, different events going on. But Sports Stars Fishing for ITV later on this month as well that I do every year, which is which is great. In fact, the Super League team won that two years ago. Um, <laughs> I think Jamie Jones Buchanan's on that again this year. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of stuff. And then all the stuff I do in automotive, like I said, I'm here and I'm branching out into Central and Eastern Europe probably in the new year as well. So, yeah, loads and loads going on, which, um, yeah, it's exciting stuff, really. So busy, busy. Remarkable stuff, all from that initial job of of doing a game at Wakefield Trinity, who'd have thought it? Absolutely. It, do you know, when, when you actually look back, it's mad. It really is mad, but mad in a very, very good way for me. It's Like I say, it's, I've had some amazing moments. It, it's really funny. Just, sorry, I'm going to branch off ever slightly. Um, at Wakefield, I, I was, I'm, I'm too young, thankfully, to really have watched Neil Fox play, but you, you know about the legend of Neil Fox. You know, he's a greatest point scorer in rugby league history and, and everything else. And it struck me one day, I was um, I was walking through the bar and Neil Coach said, oh, Phil, I saw you on the snooker deal. We were in the club the other day. I saw you on the snooker announcing the players out. He said, I told everyone in there, that's Phil, that's my mate Phil from Wakefield. And I'm, like, I'm pinching myself. I'm like, Neil Fox knows my name. This is this is amazing. And I had the same thing in boxing. I came out of a ring in London and there was um boxing journalist called Colin Hart, who's an esteemed legendary boxing journalist for The Sun. And I got out of the ring and, and he shook my hand and he, he said, Phil, Colin, he said, uh, just wanted to say you're doing a great job. And that was, I was like, Colin Hart knows my name. And then on the snooker, I was at Watford Coliseum doing the shootout and I was about to go through this door and the door opened and it's Jimmy White on the other side. And I says, you're right, Jimmy. He said, oh, fella, he said, how are you doing, son? You all right? I says, yeah, yeah, good. You, you've been up too much. And again, the door shut and I stood there and I thought, Jimmy White knows my name. This is amazing. This is incredible. So, you know, you get moments like that that you, you can't pay for. You can't buy that. And, you know, to to think, I never thought Neil Fox would know who I am. You know, the man's an absolute legend, for goodness sake. And, yeah, stuff like that is uh, it's wonderful, really. Absolutely wonderful. Superb. Great way to end on that part of the podcast. But just before we do round off properly, Phil, I know when you did leave leave the gig down at Trinity, a lot of people were asking you for your for your best all-time 13 whilst mm. you were announcing, and you've, you've managed to collate something up for us. So I'll hand it back over to you and you can talk us through. Yeah, do you know, this wasn't easy, actually. Because I looked at it, I thought, well, we've had some really, really good players um, in my time. But I'll, I'll shoot through it. So fullback, uh, Matt Blamire, um, it's sentimental one as much as anything this, because I saw him come through at York, and he went off to Australia, he came back, and it was great to annou- have announced him at York, then announced him at Wakefield was, was brilliant. Um, wingers, Tom Johnston, obviously. You know, be, being there to watch Tom fly through the air like he did and like he does now at Catalan. Um, well, for me, the best finisher I've ever seen mm. in rugby league, full slot or rugby union, any rugby, best finisher I've ever seen. Uh, other wing semi, Tajalala, who I, I caught back end of his career for the start of mine. Um, real class act. Again, he, he had the full toolbox. Um, in the centres, you've got to have JD in the centres, I think. Um, and Bill Tupo as well. Sadly, injury played. But when he wasn't injured, 
what a player he was. I think he had sort of one full season with no injuries at all. And he made the Super League team of the year yeah. while he was at Wakefield and we didn't have a great season. He, he was was absolute class. Sadly, a lot of injuries. Uh, halfbacks, Jamie Rooney, um, quality player in his day. Absolute quality player. And Bruffy next to him. Um, as I said earlier on, I, I saw Bruffy, York signing from Dewsbury and then he went on to Hull. He broke points records at York. Uh, phenomenal player. In fact, I, there was one... One game we played against um, oh, who the team that Chorley Chorley links. I think it was a season they packed in, and Bruffy was breaking all point scoring records. And I'm stood just by the pitch with the mate man before the game. The Chorley players are all out on the pitch having a little wander round in the tracksuits like they do. And Bruffy wanders out the changing rooms like you're right, Phil. You're right, Danny. And he walked up, and he, all the Chorley players stopped and stared. And you could see it was like, that's Danny Bruff. That's the player that's ripping up all the record books, blah, blah, blah. And he walked across, sort of nodded to him as he went, and he went across the pitch, over the running track, jumped over the fence to the burger van, <laughs> right? Now, this is this is an hour before kickoff. He got a great big dirty burger, right? And he come back over the fence, and he walked back across the pitch, eating his, eating his burger as he went. And the Charlie players have stood to a man <laughs> watching this guy come across. I think he scored 40-odd points that day against them. <laughs> and they had to enjoy watching him eating a dirty burger before the game. It was fantastic. fantastic. So, Bruffy's got to be in there. Um, props, big day, has to be there. What a, what a talisman. And, I mean, he's come back straight away. There's other players signed as well, but what an impact he's had coming back. He's just a larger-than-life character. Uh, Kyle Amor is other prop for me. Uh, great player. We were lucky to have him at Wakefield. Um, you know, he's gone on to be a... A great player for Saints and now a great commentator as well. I think he's one of the best there is now. Yeah. Um, very, very quickly as well. Great lad as well. Great family. Hooker, little Sam Obst. Um, used to love watching Sam. Scooting from dummy half. He was he was class. Absolute class. Second row, um, Thermo, got to be in there. And big Glenn Morrison next to him as well. Yeah. Lovely bloke, Glenn Morrison. And Washy at loose forward, Danny Washbrook. Um it was when, when Washi signed for us, everyone was like, oh, end of his career, end of his career. What a player he was. What a player he was for us when he signed. So, yeah, that's my 13. That's in the time I've been at the club. Please don't anyone come at me with, oh, Don and Neil Fox. I wasn't there then. I'm not that old. Um, Who's your Yeah, that's my 13. Who's the cat? Oh, good, out of them? Goodness me. Do you know what? I, I think Kermo. Uh, no, no, no. It's got to be JD, isn't it? Looking <laughs> at that, it's got to be JD. I can't yeah. get it to Kermo. JD and Kermo, Kermo's vice. Yeah, very good, very good. Phil, I think I can't sum it up better than what I said earlier and what Dad's already mentioned. For a generation at Wakefield Trinity, for those 15 years, you have been the heart and soul, but also the voice of, of Wakefield Trinity down at Bellevue. Thank you for your time and your service down at Bellevue, and you're welcome to come back when, whenever you whenever you wish. Thanks very much. Very kind words, guys. Thanks very much for having me on. And uh, just to everyone down there that's shown me any kindness over the years, thank you. It's been a real pleasure to uh, to be your announcer. Excellent. So thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 95 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for further information and real-time updates on the podcast. Massive thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you to Phil Seymour. We will see you on Monday night when we've got the legendary Jeff Oaks on the podcast, one of the, the legendary names from the 1960s. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Triscamara. You have been listening 
to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.